This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Welcome to the It Was a Thing on TV podcast, episode 19, submission 266, Super Jeopardy and Monopoly. Super Jeopardy aired on ABC from June 16th to September 8th of 1990 for a total of 13 episodes. As always, Greg is here, Chico's here, I'm Mike, and we're going to cover two two game shows today. Uh, And the reason we're covering these two shows is because coming up starting on this Tuesday, the, the 7th of January... ABC is doing a greatest of all time tournament involving Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter and James Holzhauer. And maybe some of our listeners don't know that this isn't the first time ABC tried this with Jeopardy. 30 years ago, 30 summers ago, I should say, there was a 13-week tournament where... Many of the big winners of the previous, that would be about six seasons up to that point. Yeah, it was summer of 1990, so that was about six seasons. They all competed in this tournament, as well as one other person who did not win between 1984 and 1990. We'll get to that in a moment. And the winner of the tournament took home $250,000. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in nineteen ninety money, folks. Yeah, which would be at least half a million now, if not even closer to maybe six or seven hundred thousand. This tournament, while it was meant to be a draw of all the former champions, I think the one thing that really hurt this this show was it aired on a Saturday night. This is Saturday night filler back in nineteen ninety. This wasn't something you'd see on a Friday night or a Thursday night or a Monday night uh, right after the Jeopardy uh, show airs in your area. No, no, no. This is a Saturday night thing. And typically Saturday night is not the best night for ratings. Especially Saturday nights in the summer. Yeah. Oh, yes. And um, there's nothing really special about this Jeopardy uh, it was the same questions and answers you're used to. Uh, there are some minor differences, though. First is, there were no dollars. It was all for points. And whoever had the most points in an episode, obviously won, and played the next week or played in the, the next tier of games. And another thing is and th- this sort of predates the actual show jeopardy by about 11 years kind of sorta the values were well the values in single jeopardy were doubled they were the 200 400 600 800 1000 that we've been used to for the last going on two decades yeah but then in round in the double jeopardy round it didn't necessarily double they just got bumped up to 500 1000 1500 2000 and $2,500. It, it was the double and a half Jeopardy round. But also the other really big thing about Super Jeopardy, 
it's the first time it's happened, at least in the United States. There were four person games. Yep. Now that made me actually wonder. Did they build a fourth podium specifically for this event? Or do they keep an extra podium backstage in case one breaks down? And I'm gonna ask I'm gonna pose it to Chico since he's been on the show. Maybe he has more insight than I do. Do they only have the three podiums? And I I realize that 2018 is a little different than 1990. But is there a backup podium in case the electronics go bad? No, if the electronics go bad, we get index cards. Which, yeah, you, you do see every now and then. Not very often, but you do see index cards come into play if the, the light pins conk out or something. Well, also, if I remember correctly, the current Jeopardy, the, the lecterns for the contestants is one giant piece. Yes, it it's, one, it's been one giant piece for, I want to say, what was the, what was the first uh, HD season of Jeopardy? Because that's, that's when they moved from three separate pieces to one giant piece. Well, would this have come with one of the set changes? Uh, no, they actually retrofitted the uh, existing set for the, for the HD uh, lecterns. Oh. And then... Uh, it, then it was the 25th anniversary. Wait a minute, was it the 25th anniversary? The, well, yeah, well, it, was the 25th, I... it was the 25th anniversary during that when they uh, did the show in Las Vegas for CES. When they when they did the whole set, they built the whole set for CES, and then they trucked it back to LA, and that became the set for until until uh, a couple of years later when they changed it again. Uh, and actually, I think the first year that it broadcast in HD may have been 2006, because I remember, and I think you were there, Chico, we went to go see the first week of Wheel of Fortune that season, and that was the first episode that was being broadcast in HD. Yep. So it definitely wouldn't surprise me if 2006 is the, is the answer to that question. So... As we said, uh, there were 36 contestants, 35 winners from Jeopardy between 1984 and 1990, and one other individual who we'll get to in a moment. Some of the names are just, if you know anything about Jeopardy, especially Jeopardy 30 years ago, 35 years ago, these are like the Ken Jennings and the Brad Rudders and the and, and the James Holzhauer's of the 80s. Going through the names really quickly, you had Bob Verini, definite s- superstar, one of the best. Uh, Bruce Nagley, another good player. I remember the name from back in the day. Uh, Steve Rogitz, Weta Relstab, Frank Spangenberg, who is I mean, by far like one hey, of the best. Yeah, Professor Frank, I believe the only player in the pre-double value era to get to 100,000. Uh, in five days, I believe you're right. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, it's something around 102,000 he had in his run. Yeah, I've got I've got the uh, stats right here because well, I do my homework. He's prepared. Uh, yes, I am. Pre- hey, do you know what I do? You know Do you know the other podcasts I do? It's my job to be prepared. But yeah, Frank Spangenberg, over his five days on Jeopardy, won a total of 
102,597. The winnings was the winnings were capped at 75,000 at the per the rules of the show at the time, which means $27,597 were donated to Frank's selected charity, the Missionaries of Charity in New York City. Yeah, that would have been uh, CBS Network rules, I believe. Uh, yes. Yes, because CBS went from 25000 I think, to maybe 50000 sometime in the 80s. Uh, I remember, I think it was around uh, the time Pressure Luck was on, so that was probably around 85, 86. No, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay, wrong. Did correct I me. Did I mention that I was prepared? Okay, so it was night, so it was... 1988 89 because it was season six. He was a five cha time champion during season six. So 1989, 1990, one of those two. And again, the, ca the, the cap was 75,000 because the cap was raised to 50,000 during Press Your Luck and then again to 75,000 until sometime in the last 10 or 15 years, when they just said to hell with the cap. Isn't that what I said? I said the cap was raised to 50000 when Pressure Luck was on the air, and then it oh, was raised... Sorry. I, I, you know what? I misunderstood. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alright, let me explain. Pressure Luck, sometime in late 84, early 85, after Marco Larson basically robbed the CBS network of hundred and ten grand decided, you know what, we might as well raise our silly limit from 25000 to 50000 Yeah. So after Frank Spangenberg, uh, we, <laughs> had, we had Brian Wangsgaard and Eugene Feynman and Kate Waits. In episode three, we had Elise Bararu, Richard Perez-Pena. Here's a name that may ring a bell to a couple of folks. Gary Giardina. That would ring a bell. That is a bell ringer. Why does it ring a bell? Uh, because he was on another show, obviously. He was on another show, obviously. Which one? <laughs> I, don't I do not remember. Oh, you forgot that he was on Future Entry Double Dare? Ah. Uh. Woo! <laughs> and then uh, the last player in episode three uh, was Eric Newhouse, who actually was the 1989 college tournament winner. Good player back in the day. Very good player back in the day. And of course, the three winners of those quarterfinals would meet again in the semifinal. Those would be Bob Verini, Eugene Fitterman, and Eric Newhouse. And then uh, the, the fourth quarterfinal game, we had Mark Lowenthal, another familiar name, Paul Rufa, Kathy Boggs, and Keith Walker. In the quarterfinal number five, we had Rich Lerner, Bruce Seymour, Liz Cassisi, and here's the name of the person who was not a winner on Jeopardy between 1984 and 1990, Burns Cameron. I remember that guy. And, and Chico does. I think he has a story to tell. Uh, yes, I do. This was um, this was actually uh, about fifteen years ago. It was fourteen. Uh, I think it was oh six. I think it was fourteen years ago. Okay, yeah. fourteen, fifteen years ago, 
And we were play and we were playing a mock game. Burns ca it was Burns Cameron, myself, and Maddie Suchard, who would go on to be a, a Kids Week contestant on Jeopardy. Uh, still doing well, by the way. She says hi. <laughs> and yeah, and Maddie just or Burns just absolutely mops the floor with the two of us. But who ended up winning? Burns Cameron. No. No, I thought it was it was Maddie. Oh, my bad, my bad. Again. Yeah. Because I think it was faulty wagering, and she had very little money. I mean, mind you, you know, 14 years ago, Maddie Souchard would have been all about 12, 12 or 13. And she's going against Chico and Burns Cameron, who is, is like the greatest champ of Jeopardy in the Art Fleming era back in the 60s and 70s. And she ends up winning because she was playing defensively and everybody got final wrong. And here she wins with whatever, $5 or, or $10 or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just very surreal. Uh, but also we, we should uh, give a plug out for where we did this or where you did this. This was at the old uh, game show Congress, which has sort of morphed into the trivia conferences in North America which has sort of morphed into the Trivia Nationals, which is right. coming up this July. Yes, by the way, late, happy late July, National early August. By the way, happy National Trivia Day. Yes, uh, today, the day we're taping, January 4th, is National Trivia Day. So it's very timely that we're talking about this. So that was uh, the fifth quarterfinal. Sixth quarterfinal, Tom Cubbage, again, another good player from back in the day, Leah Greenwald, Lionel Goldbart, and Roger Storm. Then you had semifinal game number two, which was Keith Walker versus Bruce Seymour versus Roger Storm. Then we get to the last three quarterfinal games. And this is we got two good ones in this ninth game. Yeah, this is this is where this is where you hear the big ones. Uh, yeah, the, the, the first name is the big one if you uh, if you ask me. The first name oh, yes. in, in Game 7, Chuck Forrest. He likes the bounce. He, he, he was the creator of the bounce. bounce, bounce he was bounce, the first bounce, bounce. super champion. He was amazing. Yeah, and then... Yeah, I'm if sorry. There was a, if there was a... If there was a... Uh, if the current Jeopardy rules were in effect, I guarantee you you'd probably have like a James Holtzhauer run. Oh, yeah. He, he would have easily lasted... Probably 20, 25, 30 episodes. Uh, then you had Dave Trainey, Ron Black, and Yale Sofair. S-O-F-A-E-R. Sofair, Sofier. Quarterfinal 8 had Bob Blake. Again, another big name from back in the day. Michael Rankins, friend of a couple of us. Yep. Yes. Uh, Keith Bell and Peggy Malice. Yeah. And I've got a Michael Rankin story. I beat him in Jeopardy this year at Trivia Nationals. He, he, five, five man Jeopardy, and I won. So I'm just saying I beat a Jeopardy champion and a competitor in the Super Jeopardy tournament. I, I, I need to just there you go, pat myself on the back. There we Good go. Job. Good yeah. job. Good yeah. job. Good job. You want to I I could use one. I feel so accomplished. Uh, and then the last quarterfinal game was Sandy Gore. 
Jeff Richmond, another name which is sort of familiar online nowadays. I, I, he keeps on popping up on my people you may know list, and there's like three dozen of my friends have Jeff Richmond as a mutual friend, so obviously he still gets around. And Bruce Fallman and Zeke Sevilla Jr. And the third semifinal game ended up being Dave Trainey, Bob Blake, and Jeff Richmond. And the winners of the semifinals game who played in the final game were Bob Verini, Bruce Seymour, and Dave Trainey. And the big winner, I mean, if you look at those three names, the name that sticks out to me as the person who should win is, is Bob Verini. Yes. But it was Bruce Seymour who won. Yep, I've got the final right. This was the deciding final. This was the hardest clue in the world in 1990. Here it is. The category is... I feel like I'm doing WLTI all of a sudden. Uh, the category is the 20th century, and here's the clue. He was vice president of the U.S. for just 82 days before becoming president. Who okay, is hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold uh, on. I, I already... I know this. Hold on. Yeah, give me a second. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Oh, I think I got it. Yeah. Okay. All right, Greg, reveal. Yeah, go, Greg. Who is Harry... Who is Terry S. Truman? That, that's my answer, too. Who's Harry S. Truman? Yes, it is Harry S. Truman. He was vice president 82 days and again this was a well this wasn't a lock tournament but there was really nothing that could, that anybody could do when bob lost everything i mean he played as well as he could have and but bruce got it right and won the $250,000 and that was super jeopardy no there's one more thing i want to add Oh, there was. There's one more little thing I want to add. Tell me more, sir. Super Jeopardy spawned a home version. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was just watching, uh, the, watching YouTube playthroughs. Uh, there, was a two, there were actually two home versions. The first one being on the NES and the second one being on the PC. The NES version looked like a downscaled version of the PC version. The NES version, I've played it with somebody uh, in the recent past, within the last probably two or three years. It is a slog to get through. It is. Uh, that, that, that's it the is. one downfall to most of the Jeopardy games is it's going to take you more than half an hour to play it. But yeah. this, it, it took an unusually longer amount of time because... It had a voice chip built in, which really for 1990 is, is pretty cool technology for a home video game. But, oh my gosh, I, I'm not joking. It must have taken probably close to, oh, over an hour, if not closer to about 75 minutes to play one game of Super Jeopardy. And that wasn't a four-person game. It was a three-person game. You, you could have played four people on that. Yeah, and in fact, it's one of the few, game, it's one of the few NES games that requires four players. So if you had like an NES four score or an NES satellite and you had like four three ever people around, you could say, Hey, you wanna play some Super Jeopardy on NES? You wanna waste two hours of your life playing Jeopardy? <laughs> I mean I would. I don't know about the rest. Well, like I said, it, it's it 
as is the case with most Jeopardy games, you had to type in the answer letter by letter. And yeah, if you had like, you know, some long answer, you know, that, that could take most of the 60 seconds for you to put in the answer. And then you had the, the computer say, you're right or you're wrong or whatever. And it's it just, oh, as much as I love Jeopardy, home games, that's one of the downfalls, except for the Switch version that came out a couple of years ago. Since that's all multiple choice, you can easily play that game in probably about 20 minutes. I think the 360 PS3 version of Jeopardy from a couple of years ago. Was yeah, um, yeah, uh, I actually have that. And you are correct. Uh, it was bundle. It was a bundle. It was a bundle pack with uh, Wheel of Fortune. It was called. They called it America's favorite game shows: Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. No, no, that's the PS4, Xbox. Oh, One my bad. My yeah, that, that's the yeah, that's the name of the Switch version too. Yeah, I know my Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune versions on consoles, baby. I was a ba- I was very good at playing Jeopardy Junior Edition back in the day on NES. Let me tell you, that's for you, Annie, and God bless you. Uh, oh, and also that's another sort of spoiler for later on this year. We're doing an episode all about video games based on TV shows. Now we're not going to cover yeah, Super sure. Jeopardy, obviously, but we found some doozies. Oh my! I'm sure. I- I'm sure we'll have some NES Game Tech versions in there. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee. I know. Just not even thinking about it, I know there's one. I'm not going to say what it is. Actually, we could make a case for two of them. But yeah, there's definitely going to be at least one. But we, we've compiled a very. Whew, it's a bad list. There's some bad games out there. So yeah, yeah, the the video game show is a a little bit away. It'll be in early March, but we'll just tell you right now, Super Jeopardy is not on the list. We covered it right here. Well, Mike, that was Super Jeopardy, and now we get into the part that we wanted to discuss on this show. Woo! Yeah, th- this is the re- this is the reason we're here, right? And what we're talking about is we're talking about Monopoly, which aired after Super Jeopardy. And it only aired from June 16th to September 1st of 1990. It only had 12 episodes. You just heard part of the theme song of Monopoly, and Chico has a very apt way of describing it. It is a bop. Seriously, it's like a throwback to the fifties. Yeah, and and it and it fits because let's think about this. When was Monopoly created? It was created uh, in the thirties. In, in the thirties, yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so. well, 50s and 30s is close enough. Yeah, we're, we're, we're never good at mathematics. 
Um, <laughs> but also, it, it sort of it, it brings up like Chico's theory about about theme songs. You listen to the theme song, and it paints a pretty decent picture as to what's going on. Not necessarily for a, a game show per se, but it gives you the gist of what's happening. Roll the dice; it's paradise. And if you fail, you go to jail. Yeah, I, yep. I, it, it, it describes Monopoly in a beautiful way. It sure does. So yeah, that, the, the show isn't. I was gonna say. Yeah, too bad the show isn't as good as the theme. You're absolutely right about yeah, that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let, there's a rule in game shows. The rule is no. you shouldn't need to have a complex flowchart as the rules to a game show. Right. Oh, if you great. can if you can't explain the premise in one word in one sentence, it's too it's too uh it's too complex. And Monopoly just at its core is complex to begin with. So And not to mention Monopoly is a game where a lot of the times it you make up your own rules like money on free parking certain rules. I mean, some of them are not official Hasbro's or Parker Brothers sanctioned rules. But yeah. those are like the rules in your home. Well, they, they sort of did that with Monopoly here. They, they did a little bit of um, they, they took some artistic license, if you will. They took some of the more popular house rules and adapted them for this show. Well, before we get to the, the whole rules of how to play the game, this originally was supposed to be a, a syndicated show. Uh, it was announced in November of 1989 that Peter Tamarkin was going to host it. And the pilot to the show is on YouTube. It might take a little bit of searching, but you can find it. And the pilot, the, the, the show isn't much different uh, than the pilot, but there's a couple of differences. Peter Tamarkin, as we said, was the host of the pilot, but also, as we mentioned in the Star Wars Holiday Special, Patty Maloney played Rich Uncle Pennybags and actually ran around the board. Rich Uncle Pennybags was like a human marker showing what space was landed on which was a little surreal, a little useless. And, and uh, there's a reason why Rich Uncle Pennybags didn't make the, the final show. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a third you wheel. You couldn't get an old man in a monocle for this show. Yeah, there's another good point. There's plenty of old people <laughs> in Hollywood. You, know, you, you, you could have easily gotten somebody like you, Billy Barty. You could have gotten, gotten Emil Oturi to, to be Rich Uncle Pennybags. He no, no, no. You didn't hear me. Billy Barty. Oh, yeah. We could have gotten Billy Barty. That would have been terrific. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Billy had, Barty may have been too big of a name. He could have had another dwarf and a magician. Well, Billy Barty was coming right off of UHF. There was no rich Uncle Pennybags in the the show that made it to air. And also, there was no Peter Tamarkin. Right. We ended up with Mike Riley. And you're saying to yourself, who is Mike Riley? Who is Mike Riley? Oh, that's that's great timing. Believe it or not, Mike Riley was a contestant on the pilot. 
He also was a contestant on Jeopardy. So Merv knew of him. And if you know Merv, Merv likes taking chances on unknown people as hosts. Some work, like that Sajak guy. Or Ryan Seacrest on Click. And Ryan Seacrest. And Chuck Woolery. And Art Fleming. And then sometimes they just don't work, like like Ty Treadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph Banerska, the amazing Jonathan. And you can add Mike Riley to that list. Oh, he was a bad host. So the game itself, you had three players, and this was sort of a word game. It, it was maybe in the same vein as the crossword clues category on Jeopardy. Maybe also a little bit like Merv Griffin's crosswords. Oh, by the way, future entry, Merv Griffin's crosswords. <laughs> but it was that type of game where, yeah, you had a crossword type of clue, and each Monopoly, each of the eight different Monopolies on the board, uh, each of those uh, those properties, uh, the clue associated with them started with the same letter. So if you had... Baltic and Mediterranean, maybe the the letter in common was L. And then the whole idea is people won the monopolies by basically, let's say, getting a majority of the questions right. If somebody got all the questions right in the number of properties that are in that monopoly, like if they got both questions in a two-property monopoly or got all three in a three-property monopoly, they automatically got the monopoly. But if they didn't sweep it, it got a little more complex. It's kind of easy with the two-property monopolies. Basically, the two people that got the questions right went head-to-head, and whoever got the question right gained uh, control of that monopoly. In a three-person situation, though, if one person got two of the properties and one person got another one, the person that had two properties only had to answer one question correctly to get that monopoly, while the person who had one property had to answer two correctly before the the other person answered one correctly in order to get the monopoly. See, I told you, you need like a complex flowchart just to get through this. And <laughs> on top of all this, you had all the rent values from the board game Monopoly. So Mediterranean was worth $60, and then you had Baltic would have been, I believe, $80, if I remember my game correctly. And the property values around the board increased until you got to Boardwalk, which was $400. And if you answered correctly, that value was taken away from your score. But also, another thing, and this happened a few times, I remember this happening, if nobody answered correctly, another clue was played with the same le- uh, first letter as the answer, but the value of the property was cut in half. <clears throat> and I wonder if that would go on if if they missed that, then would it be cut in half again? And I mean, it, it seems really crazy because you know you'd go from say sixty dollars for Mediterranean if they if nobody gets it right twice. You're playing for $15. Who cares about $15? I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Even in 1990, as a 15-year-old, I didn't care about $15. Don't quote Mike Francesa. Who cares? 
Who cares? 820, here's the McMahon. <laughs> and then after all eight monopolies were played out like that, when all eight monopolies were owned by the players, then we had a commercial break and the players used their money to build houses and hotels on their properties, not unlike the game itself. Houses were $50 a piece, and they had to be built evenly on the Monopoly, and hotels were $250. And again, had to be built evenly. So the strategy basically tells you, buy all your houses on the most expensive Monopolies you can, and then fill houses in on the other Monopoly. So in the second round, we played Monopoly, sort of like Monopoly that you play at home, there was a dice pit. It was a circular dice pit, not unlike the rectangular one from High Rollers. The dice were rolled, and everybody more or less used the same piece. It was a light that went around the board, and so the light uh, would move however many spaces that the, uh, the dice roll was. And Charlie O'Donnell mentioned the value for the question, and then Mike uh, Riley read a question to the person who owned it. The person that owned it had first crack at winning this money. And if he got it wrong, he didn't lose any money. If he got it right, he got the value of the money added to a score. But uh, if he got it wrong, he didn't lose money, but either other opponents could buzz in to answer and uh, earn that money. But they had the risk of losing money if they were incorrect. Like I said, giant flowchart. This this is a mess of a game. But uh, there were also uh, some other spaces on the board. Obviously, it isn't just properties. There were utilities, the electric company and waterworks. And a uh, question was asked, and it was worth 100 times the number rolled on the dice. So it could be 200, it could be 1,200. That's not bad. 1,200 is better than most of the spaces on the board of hotels. Right. Now, railroads is where it gets very interesting. So uh, if, uh, if the light landed on one of the railroads or, or the space, the, 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 the game piece, or the action moved to one of the railroads, uh, one of the players got a chance to ride that railroad and initiate a hostile takeover. So a toss-up question was asked, and the first player that answered the clue correctly could choose one of the opponent's monopolies to take over. So this is a game changer now. Uh, so what happened is once the monopoly is chosen, the light moved to the first square in that monopoly. And the person who won the toss-up question for the railroad they got to play however many questions there were, or up to however many questions there were, in that property. So if they were going for Boardwalk and Park Place, they'd only have to answer two questions. But almost everything else on the board, minus the first Monopoly, they had to answer three. So if that person got three questions right in a row without missing any, that person got control of the Monopoly. And its entire combined value of the properties and the houses and hotels that were built on the Monopoly went into that person's bank. So this could be a huge game changer. 
when you're talking about the uh, two hotels on Boardwalk and Park Place, and then the seven hundred fifty dollars rent on um, on those two properties. So that would be twelve hundred and fifty dollars right there. But also that would be twelve hundred and fifty dollars taken away from the person who who owned those two properties. So th th this again, you need a giant flowchart here. It's it's very wacky. Uh, and then if you had a wrong answer for the takeover attempt, uh, the person that missed had to pay the corresponding rent to the owner of the, uh, of the uh, monopoly uh, based on where the, the, the light indicator was uh, on the monopoly. So if the person uh, missed the first question, they'd pay the rent and whatever uh, the hotels, the, the, the cost, uh, including hotels or houses, for that first property or the second or the third. So there is a little growth in risk since obviously the prices uh, in the monopolies, the, the, of the properties in the monopolies, does go up over time or, or as you go down the, the path, the road. And then chance of community chest were uh, just cards, just like the, the board game, that gave you uh, some special instructions, you know, collect $10 for winning the beauty pageant or, you know, pay $100 for every hotel you have or every house and 500 for every hotel or I'm making these up, but it's similar to what you actually see in the board game or everybody go to go or everybody go to jail or everybody you know, go to Indiana Avenue, what have you. And then the tax spaces, they were played just like the board game, more or less luxury tax took away $75 from everybody and income tax took 10% away. It wasn't 10% or $200. It was a flat 10%. And then here's one of the home rules that uh, Greg sort of talked about earlier, free parking. A question was asked, and the first player to answer correctly won $500 and all the money collected in taxes and fines since the last time free parking was correctly answered. So that could be a big game changer depending on uh, 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 how much taxes were taken away if you land on on income tax uh, once or twice. And then go to jail, you go to jail, everybody lost $250. So yeah, do you wonder why this didn't last more than 12 episodes? <laughs> because I need a PowerPoint to explain the whole thing. Yeah, you, you need a master's degree to explain this. And we're not even done yet because after the round two was done, then we went to a commercial or to a little break, and they added all the properties and the rents back uh, into the, the into the respective owners' banks. So, yeah, I mean, they're just throwing numbers all over the place. It's almost like, you, as a home viewer, you've got to say, okay, we trust you, you know what you're doing. We have no idea what the heck's going on. You're just throwing numbers out left, right, here, and there. It, it was... It's still confusing. 30 years later, it's just mind-boggling how... Yeah. I, I mean, I understand you want to make a game show on a popular property and uh, and Monopoly's as big as you get, but geez, look at other board games that have been done in the past and how much more simplified they were. Whether you're talking about... Scrabble! Scrabble, Trivial Pursuit. Even, and I know people don't like this, Boggle, the Family Channel ran back in, in the mid '90s. Not terribly difficult, even if you did it sort of like what um, 
what uh, Family Game Night did on the Hub slash uh, Discovery Kids. I mean, that's a little different. That's a lot more fun. It's it doesn't have a you know, laundry list of rules that you need to follow. And even if you want to keep it in the Monopoly name, what about Monopoly Millionaires Club? I know it's a lottery show, but at least that was very simple to follow. Yeah, and it had yeah. Billy Gardell. Yeah, it had Billy Gardell too, which is an added bonus, absolutely. So now, after all that stuff was done, you know, and somehow they got all that done in 20-some minutes, uh, including commercial time, you went to the bonus round. And the bonus round was nice and simple. Finally, something simple in this game. This is probably the best part of the show, the bonus. This is the only part of the show that's good because the rest is just such, you know, cockamamie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All you have to do is go, and again, it's so simple and so easy and so enjoyable that Monopoly Millionaires Club actually did the same thing for its bonus round. Um, yeah, more, more or less, more or less, some slight differences, but not too many. So the winner of the day, they had to make one revolution around the board in five turns while staying out of jail. Now, th there's one caveat. They didn't just roll the dice five times and if they uh, the rolls ended up more than 40, yay, you won. No, 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 no. The uh, champion, the winner of the day, had to choose four spaces on the board, uh, one each on the second row and the third row, and two on the fourth row, uh, the home stretches you're going to, to, uh, to go, to, to what would be the victory space, essentially. And uh, all those spaces became go to jail. You hit go to jail, game over, so you earned $100 for each space you moved on the board. And if you got around the board without going to jail and without running out of rules, you won $25,000. But if you but, landed but, on go, if, if you landed on go, you won $50,000. Which never happened on the show. No. No, no. yeah. Nobody won $50,000 on the show. It, it, it sounds nice, but again, it's just, it's just pie in the sky. So, yeah, uh, if you go around the board and at least reach go, if you pass it, you win $25,000. If you hit it on the nose, you win $50,000. If you go to jail, you, uh, you won $100 for each space that you passed uh, during your, your gameplay. And that was Monopoly. <sighs> Whew. That took forever. No, I'm not going to draw out the rules. I can only imagine the contestant rules. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've seen rules for Jeopardy. Uh, I've seen rules for Millionaire. Chico's seen rules for a number of shows, Jeopardy, and uh, and other shows that he's been on. Let's Ask America. Well, Let's Ask America. But I'm sure you've done other shows, too. I'm sure you tried out for, for Millionaire at some point. Yeah. Maybe? Okay. And rules aren't aren't supposed to be that thick. I mean, even Millionaire, I think the rules were maybe about 15, 20 pages long. A lot of legalese. But we know what the, the gist of Millionaire is. You know, question, four answers, one's right. 
get it right, you move on, get it wrong, you fall down to the uh, the safety barrier. I mean, I can imagine this being like a 50 or 60 page rule book and th that's just insane. Yeah, it, it, it was just, you know, this, and the thing of it is, this could have, was there any saving this show? No, I really think this is a burn-off. I, I think it was something that that ABC or Merv Griffin said, hey, we've got to pair a show with Super Jeopardy on Saturday nights because we're not going to make Super Jeopardy an hour long. So, you know, what can we air at? Of course, uh, this was 30 years ago, so. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, they could have aired, say, you know, Mr. Belvedere reruns or uh, some reruns of other shows that... ABC would have been airing at the time, but you know the, the, they went with Monopoly and who uh, it's Chico. I'm going to say it. I'm, I'm taking your line. Monopoly, okay. Monopoly. It was a thing on TV. Uh, Super and, Jeopardy and, was too, but we like Super Jeopardy at least. Yeah, we yeah. Love, love Super Jeopardy. Super Jeopardy like, was legendary. I like Jeopardy with four players, dang it. Oh, and I should also add, there was an international version of Monopoly. Not even joking. There what? was. I've, I've got the... I got the... It was... It was... The, it was broadcast on S4C in the UK, hosted by Derek Brown, and it was Welsh. Because a, that's... A Welsh version in 1992, and now it just makes me wonder... You know, you've got these crazy rules, and now you're talking Welsh. The 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 place names that are Welsh. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you ever seen any of these these place names in Welsh? Do you imagine if there was a Swedish version of Monopoly? Oh God, I'm I am right now. I am looking for information on the S four C Monopoly. I don't think it exists outside of the. Uh, Outside of Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. Oh, wait! Our friends at UK Game Shows. Hi, UK Game Shows. Okay, so... It, it, it was essentially the same, but here's the thing. Uh, the properties were either British cities or world cities, depending on whatever season was playing. They aired two seasons of this show. I was just going to say, they aired two seasons of this show, and I, I'm really surprised that they didn't use, like, Mayfair and stuff like that. And, again, uh, again, aside from that, it is exactly like the show we got. We apologize, Wales. Yeah, we're sorry. <sighs> well... That was Saturday night in summer of 1990. While you were watching ABC anxiously awaiting possibly who might have killed Laura Palmer, you had Jeopardy and you had Monopoly on Saturday nights during the summer of 1990. And, and you know what killed Laura Palmer? Watching Monopoly. Yeah, I think she was the first of many victims, yes. Uh, that's, yeah. that's how Bob killed her. She beat her watch Monopoly. Oh, God. I need some pie and coffee after that. 
Well, I- I'm gonna go pl- uh, play some slot machines. I-, I hope you don't mind. Okay. Well. Oh jeez. Well, Super Jeopardy and Monopoly. One was a challenging bust your brain quizzer to find the smartest person in America. The other was challenging to figure out and busted your brain as you were watching it. Together on ABC on Saturday nights. <sighs> they were a thing on TV. Yes, they were. <laughs> as always, we're on social media. We're on the internet. You can find back episodes and all links to our social media accounts at www.itwasathingontv.com. And the next episode, eh, we're not going to go too far back into the future. I, I, it, we're going to go back a little bit, but it's going to be another fun episode. It's 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 going to be better than Monopoly, I guarantee that much. We, we could probably go through uh, what we're going to talk about next without having to introduce uh, complex flowcharts. No. Uh-oh. And, and we're going to be talking about game shows again on our next episode. Oh, yes, we will. We're not going to talk about which ones, but the episode will be up uh, a couple days after this one. So hang tight, kids. Uh, as always, please like and subscribe, rate and review. Ladies, if you're lonely, call Big Papa Klaus over. Not to be confused with Big Papa Pump. Oh, God. <sighs> Big Bad Rudy Daddy. Mike so as I said, rate and review, like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, like and subscribe, rate and review. And uh, until the next episode coming up uh, later on this week. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Chico. I'm Mike. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. I've got I've got the uh, stats right here because, well, I do my homework. He's prepared. Uh, yes, I am. Pre- hey, do you know what I do? You know Do you know the other podcasts I do? It's my job to be prepared. But yeah, Frank Spangenberg over his five days on Jeopardy won a total of He's prepared! Are you ready? 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 102,597.